Welcome back, everyone, for episode 31 of the Zero Analytics Podcast. Today, we venture back to Ohio to visit a driver who, while still in young at age, at least to me, is, has built a decent career making circles already and arguably yet to enter his prime. Currently a student in the mechanical engineering program at the University of Akron, we learn how he's applied his knowledge to his program as he's grown as a student while at the same time leading his own student along the way in the karting genre. Already having a successful racing career by most people's standards, it'll be interesting to follow him along to see where he can take it from here. While we talk mostly about racing, the thing that stuck out to me was the relationships built along the way. This podcast is about karting and racing, but as most of us who have exited the sport know, It's the relationships and the memories built off the track that oftentimes mean the most when we take a moment to reflect. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, my friend, Mr. Jared John. So today on the podcast, we have Jared John of, when I looked it up, man, it said Steubenville, Ohio. Is that correct? Yes, that is. All right. And um, I also was looking uh, right underneath that. Are you in attendance at the University of Akron, correct? Yes. Yes, that's correct. And you're in mechanical engineering, right? Yes, I'm almost done. That's good. And uh, just to add a side note, man, um, as a parent anyway, little kids, but I did see a picture on there where you were on the dean's list and um, actually earlier this year. So that's um, not only are you in school, but you're actually attending and, and, and giving it an effort. So that's good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The COVID situation in the online school has provided a completely different outlook, and I've been able to kind of maneuver that to still be successful, at least in the grades category. Right, absolutely. And, and out of curiosity, when, like, how did you decide on mechanical engineering, and um, how, what kind of took you down that path? Uh, this is, I mean, we'll talk about my uncle a little bit later too but my uncle is a mechanical engineer and all throughout school and stuff I've just excelled at math and I've had a I've always had a mindset of stepping back and looking at a process and trying to make it better in a way so and it it was just kind of like meant to be and I never a lot of people have a big decision process of what they want to do after college or high school and I never really had to think about it I've always kind of followed the engineering kind of outlook okay and so I have, um, so I went to school for turf management, have a degree in turf management, and I have a little irrigation business on the side. That's why I've been super busy, not putting out podcasts here lately with winterizations. But I actually went back to school when I was like 26 or 27. And so when I went back to school, I'd already been landscaping and, you know, cutting grass and doing things like that. And it helped me immensely. Like, I'm definitely a learner, like a visual learner. And being able to have the experience first and then I actually learn more of the technical aspect of it, um, even though we're dealing with grass and soil and stuff, it was, I had a bunch of aha moments, you know what I mean? Like where you actually learn the science behind it and you're like, oh, wait, and you can kind of apply it. Have you kind of also had some of those aha moments, like as you're learning stuff in class or online and you're kind of applying it to maybe some of your go-kart experience and some of the things that have happened that maybe you didn't fully under, you know, understand at the moment, but it kind of like put it all in perspective and made that nice picture for you to see. Yeah. I mean, I think the schooling portion of engineering makes your mind think a certain way. 
and it kind of forms your mind instead of just teaching you how to be an engineer. It teaches you how to think like an engineer. And I've like, my program is a five-year program where my last two years of school, I alternate each semester between actually working somewhere and taking class. So my, they're called co-ops and my co-ops have gotten, gotten me out in the field and I got a lot of exposure to see just how things actually work. And I mean, I've learned so much more from being a hands-on in the field, getting dirty and looking at it than I have in the classroom by, you know, 10 times probably. Right on. Where, so where you live and where your school is, like, you know, I guess it's a little bit different now with online and stuff, but, um, how far apart is your, you know, how far away do you live from school? Um, Akron's probably about roughly a hundred miles. I mean, it's probably an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. So, I mean, occasionally with this setup, I mean, I do have to, um, go to school every now and again and collaborate with my friends and work on projects and stuff like that. So it's not a hundred percent at home mm-hmm. where, uh, so I do, I do get to see a lot of my people and I have a place up there still. So it's nice to still be at school when I want to be. Okay. And when you, I'll get off the school subject in a second, but um, <laughs> as far as, um, so like when you went to school, I, I just see a lot of people, um, even kids that I've helped in the past where when they get to school, when they really have to commit there, like the racing kind of definitely takes a second, you know, a backseat. And there's, you know, even if it's a couple hours away, it's still a big deal to get back and get everything ready and done for the week to go racing. Did that affect you at all? Were you kind of able? Um, um, yeah, it's affected me some. I mean, I've, I've had to miss a couple of races and, missed out on some traveling and like longer shows and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, I mean, even from the get go, like when I chose engineering, I'm like, you know, I want to be an engineer so I could make a lot of money so I can go race all the time. I mean, that, I mean, racing's about my life and I just really haven't thought about doing anything else. So, I mean, I've always kind of, I mean, school's first, obviously, but I've, I've made time to do that. And in the past couple years, Akron's actually moved to a thing where we went, they were experimenting trying a four-day week. for So I had Monday through Thursday classes and could come home on Thursday night or whatever and have an extra day. And my friends would see me on Snapchat or something like 2, 3 in the morning on a Thursday getting my go-kart stuff ready. And they're like, you know, I don't, I don't get it. And then when a couple <laughs> of them actually came and saw me race, they've, uh, they understand why I'm up so late just grinding to get my kart stuff ready to go for the weekend. Yeah, I think that when it comes to go-karts and friends, it's the the hardest thing is try to explain to someone that's never seen it. It's like, you know, when you say go-karts, people are thinking about, you know, when they go to the beach and they're riding like the little uh, the little fun yes, tracks absolutely. and things like that. And it's it's so hard to get past, you know, like, you're like oh, it's kind of like a mini NASCAR. It's kind of like this. And, and then when you actually have someone show up to a big race and you see... $200,000 toter homes and 48 foot trail. I mean, it's like, it's a whole different, it's almost like overwhelming to people that think they know what it is and what it actually is, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, I've had friends that like throughout uh, middle school and high school and they've never thought anything about it. And I've one really close friend that he, uh, I was looking on Facebook for a helper and he says, Hey, I'll come wrench for you this week. And I'm like, are you serious? And he came and he was like, I did not think it was going to be anything like this. And I mean, <laughs> The good thing is he's come back and he, I mean, he enjoys it and he knows what's going on now a little bit. So, I mean, 
you know, help is so hard to find and good help is hard to find. So, I mean, now that I got somebody that can kind of teach a little bit of the craft, I mean, it's only going to help me and we could, you know, spend a little bit of time instead of going out and finding trouble to get into, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think, um, I think there's a lot of people in the go-kart world that can attest to, uh, if we didn't have go-karts, like I might be doing this podcast from jail. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, so let's get back to just like current day involvement before we kind of get how you got started and everything. What, um, what is your racing? I know this year is a little, little odd because of COVID and things like that, but, um, what's your current situation? Like what's your current involvement in racing right now? So right now I am a dealer for slack carts and I have my own tire cutting business. So I pretty much primarily Burris. I don't mess with Vegas or Maxis too much. I mean, I've, played with them if somebody asked me to do it i will but i prefer to just stick to my burr stuff because that's what i know best um so i have my own business and i i ride as much as i can um even with the this year being kind of goofy i think i've raced more times this year than i have any other year before so it we seem like we got off to a slow start but i mean it, it kind of worked out just being like a rainy april and you mm-hmm. get going at the end of may and i mean you're wide open absolutely and so you, all right so you pretty much race on burris these days um what so you have it's diamond cuts right is that the name of your um yes it is for your tires okay yeah. when how old were you when you started um actually taking on tire business and kind of i guess maybe even just doing your own tires and kind of learning that aspect of it yeah so i I graduated high school in 16, and we raced with a couple guys back in 2015. Uh, Bear Tomasovic, she runs the OCKS now. He gave me an opportunity back in 2015 to kind of race for him on a national level, and we ran the uh, UKS series. And mm-hmm. it wasn't – I mean, it, the series was a good thing, and then it kind of started falling apart towards the end. But, I mean, we <laughs> we kind of sucked. I mean, we, we had some good runs, and – Stuff like that. I mean, my best, probably my best day was we went to uh, we went to dump and Piedmont a couple of times, and I was horrible, qualified bad, but I could race like and miss the wrecks, so I could have a halfway decent points day. And then we came up north and raced the Co Valley, and I ended up qualifying on a pole in second in the semi pro stuff. And I'm not a big fan of the pro semi pro, but back then I think it kept me kept me out of the carnage, I guess, or at least in the show. Um, so I got that opportunity. And I learned a lot. And Greg Miller was one of the guys that raced with us and he had a tire cutter and he said, uh, how about you just take this tire cutter and you can go learn on it and stuff. And then, so I, I did that. And the end of 2015, I, I did a few sets of tires for myself and for customers and same with 2016. I didn't do a whole lot of customer stuff until I felt comfortable with actually learning how to use it and make sure I'm not just passing out crap to people. Mm-hmm. So once I finally learned what I thought was good for different applications, probably 2017 is when I really went, went in the end of 2016, I, um, Greg told me, he said, well, if you're going to start doing tires, you got to get prep. So I tried to find somebody that I thought would be a good partner selling their prep. And I found Justin Hindley out of Georgia who bought the old, uh, Bendaddy line, which is corner speed. And so I contacted him, said, hey, this is my business. I'd like to be a dealer for your prep. That's cool. And we kind of started that out at the end of 16. And we've still been together. And 
it's cool. I mean, I just, just, I just wanted to make sure I knew what I was doing before I just jumped into business. Cause it seems like there's a lot of people who just get a tire cutter all of a sudden and don't really know what they're doing. And they just want to start getting that return on investment right away. And <clears throat> that, I don't, I don't see that being right in my eyes. No, I agree. I've, uh, I'm touching my younger brother who races and I'm like, man, I'm, I remember you actually had to have results to be able to sell tires and tire prep. Now all you have to do is post it on Facebook. You know what I mean? Yeah, it seems like there it is. And a lot of people that, I mean, the, the newer racer and the guy that can only buy three or four sets of tires, you know, every couple of years is the guy that really loses out on that because the guy that's inexperienced is going to sell his tires for 25 or $30 cheaper for a cut set, which in the grand scheme of things, isn't a whole lot, but, the new guy's going to say, Hey, I'm going to save 30 bucks. And he doesn't even know the product he's getting. Right. And I'm, and I'm guessing that's really a, probably a more important when it comes to burst just for the, uh, the tire, I guess the tire life, so to speak, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. um all right. So let's get, let's go to, um, let's go back to the beginning. I, uh, when I was looking on Facebook and, I generally Facebook stalk pretty much anyone that's going to come on here. And uh, I try not to talk to, you know, like we talked before we actually recorded that I try to be entertained and kind of follow my curiosity as we go. So I looked at your pictures and it looks like you have been racing since a pretty young age. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so the, the first thing is before you get, before you tell me how you got started, I would like to know, and maybe this will kind of intertwine to how you came up with the number eight. <laughs> okay. So, there's a, it's a kind of a dual thing because my dad used to race and he wasn't, uh, I don't want to say too much bad about him, but my dad wasn't very good. And he had like, he, he more or less did some backyard racing him and his buddies would all get together and they had carts and, um, he was number eight and Dale Earnhardt was number eight in a bush car. So that's where he kind of got that number from. And my dad raced a little bit. He raced the uh, kingdom of outlaws series. Some old school guys would probably recognize that. And, uh, one thing from my dad, his biggest accomplishment that he keeps toting is uh, there was one race at Columbiana back in 1988 or 86 or something in the in the uh, Kingdom of Outlaws series. He beat Mike Dickerson. I just get on him because I say Mike probably lost a chain or something like that. There's no possible way. And uh, so my dad was number eight. And as a kid, I mean, my dad was an Earnhardt fan. And I was kind of just brainwashed to be an Earnhardt fan. So I was like, when they asked me what color body I wanted, I said, I'm going to be red and I'm going to be number eight. He's Dale Jr. So that was, uh, you know, that's where that started. I gotcha. All right. And how did you actually get involved? I mean, I guess it kind of stems partly from your dad racing um, a long time ago, but how did you get your introduction into your start of racing? Okay. So my, uh, I mentioned my uncle earlier being an engineer and my uncle lives in Columbus, Indiana. And he's uh, an engineer for Cummins out there. And my uncle raced carts, and he still does now. And he was racing at the Hog Barn in Columbus in 2005 winter. 2005 winter, early early winter of uh, 06. And I was helping. I just went out to help. My, me and my dad my pap, I think, went out. And there was a kid there that was had a go-kart, and it said for sale on it. And I said, Dad, we got to look at this. And <laughs> we went over and looked. I was like, you know, we got to look. I said, look, this guy's not running too bad. Let's just check it out. And, he, and he's like, you know, the whole way home, I was kind of just 
itching him about it. My uncle raced, and my dad said something to my uncle, and my uncle was like, well, you need to go to the OVKA show in February, which was in Springfield, Ohio at the time, and that's where you need to find your first cart. And so my dad talked it over with my mom, and I ended up getting the okay to be able to race. And uh, that February, we found a 99 Ultramax Center Force, and that was my first ride. We kind of put a new body on it, cleaned it up. I mean, the go-kart, when we got it, looked like it just pulled off the racetrack, and we cleaned it all up and got it looking good and dressed up, and that was my first go-kart. Gotcha. And once you got that go-kart, <clears throat> did you did your dad just start taking you to the local tracks and just making laps? How did that how was the next uh, the next step of your yeah. journey? The first thing that we did was my uncle, as I mentioned, he lives in Columbus, Indiana. So we took the go-kart out to my uncle's and he got it all all kind of dialed in. I took it up and down the street a little bit at his place. And then at Sarah Land Park, if anybody's from Indiana that listens to this, they'd know. And they have a small little road course there. And my uncle and I, they, we went out on that track and he, they took me out. And I, I mean, I started cutting some laps and it was a road course. Like I never, I mean, I'd never driven a go-kart ever or nothing. And I, according to them, I guess I cut some pretty decent laps for my first time out there. And so that was, that was it. And then, you know, the season was starting, you know, a few weeks later. So once we got back home, I went in my first um, my first race was at Good Hope Speedway, August no April twenty ninth of '06, and my aunt like I used to be a huge like PC NASCAR gamer with the steering wheel and all, and I I mean I was just like undefeated. I'd win every race, and my my aunt told me she said you know it's not going to be as easy as that. You're not going to win. You know you can't just expect to win. And I think I won my first five races in a row. <laughs> uh -huh. There you go, Ant. <laughs> so, um, just kind of out of curiosity, do you do iRacing now? Like, do you do any of that stuff? I tried iRacing for about two hours. Uh -huh. And um, I'm actually pretty decent friends with Blake Majulis, and he won the World of Outlaws late models last year, or, mm -hmm. well, the season before last now. And I was asking him some questions about what I need and telling him, cause I tried playing on my laptop at school with that, with that same steering wheel that I had from like 2004. And he was starting to tell me what I needed. And I'm like, all right, this is going to be as much to get started as it is for me to get a few sets of tires. I think I better find, I, I better just stick to the real deal here. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, um, that was kind of my, um, that's kind of my outlook on it. I see people posting these, um, like these rigs and stuff that are like three, four thousand dollars. I'm just like, oh my gosh! Like, I thought go kart racing was expensive. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean <sighs> the initial, the initial startup is just like anything. But I mean, in my opinion, right. I'm not a big i racing fan just because I think that it takes away all of the work that you have to do. And I like doing the work to be productive, and I know what it takes to win. And, you know, it, like if you wreck your car on iRacing, you could shut your computer off and go to bed. There's no repercussion. So I think that's in the long run, it's going to I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but I think it's going to potentially hurt the actual racing just because there's no maintenance. And, you know, I hope I hope I'm wrong, but, you know, it's a good tool, but I just hope I'm wrong in that regard. No, I mean, that's that's an interesting perspective. I, I think that's kind of comparable. Like when I think about guys that. Uh, and look, I, for a long time, I thought I kind of looked down upon people that just showed up to the track with a helmet bag and drove and stuff. 
Um, and I don't anymore. I mean, look, it is what it is. If you're a father and you can make more money working and, and get you a ride like that for your kid, that's better. I mean, I think you want to give the best opportunity you can. But I also think that without that journey and the hard work, I don't think it's appreciated as much. And I also think it just doesn't mean as much. You know, if you're on the last lap, you know, if, if Jared Johnson putting three weeks into getting his tires right and his go-kart, like you're going to make that move to try to win the race, you know, in a reasonable manner. Where I think sometimes where if you don't have, have that effort behind it, it's just easier to kind of let it go and be like, yeah, you know, I finished second or third or, you know, I didn't slam the door on the guy the first two laps to save my spot to give me a, a chance to win at the end of the race. So, um, so I kind of, I mean, I like that. That's a different perspective. I've, than I've yeah. Heard, and but, I, um, I think about that too. Something I preach to some younger people and even a little bit of just from an engineering outlook on it is if you can work on your go-kart and know how each part works and stuff like that, you're going to be able to, in a sense, like feel it when you turn a wheel, you know, what parts are moving and like how the, like, it's such a hard thing to explain. But when I go out there on the racetrack, I can feel what the go-kart needs. Like if it's not getting on the right front, if I'm on the left rear and stuff like that. And I think just going through the go-kart kind of like with a fine tooth comb, you know what the parts are, you know how everything works and it kind of can relate to your handling issues and eventually make you better. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think that, it's one of the big things I tell like some of the local guys around here that are friends of my brother. It's like, yeah, you can go buy your tires from someone. You can go buy the whole program and you're going to get there quicker. But I also feel like when you run into an issue, you don't understand the why, you know what I mean? It's more just the yeah. what. And I think you just get off track where if you just put in the effort, it takes a little longer to get there. But I feel like you're going to be more consistent and be able to get back on track um, easier. And I know that's hard to explain when people are spending money and running fourth or fifth or sixth, but it's, you know, it's the thing you got to put the work in just like anything, you know, if anything oh, worth yeah. having, you got to put the work in. I mean, in. it's a, it's a totally humbling sport. And I mean, there's times where you're, you're spending the money, you're putting all the work in and sometimes things just don't work out. I mean, it's, it's a humbling sport. I mean, you could be number one one day and you could be doing the same things that you always done and you're, you suck. I mean, there's just times that happens and you, the best, you know, it's not, that you might suck a certain day it's how you put that behind you and try to work forward because you know when i don't have a good day i mean it just kind of pisses me off anyways and i just want to go out and fix whatever the problem was and you know get back to the racetrack as soon as i can yeah absolutely and i think i'd be worried if it didn't bother you you know what i mean like i you've been there like the three or four hour ride home where it's like you just you think of you just rerun the whole day in your head over and over and over and over and over. Oh and yeah. Over and, 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 um, but you know, if you want it bad I, enough, that's what it takes. I mean, I'm one of those people too. Like if we have a bad day at the racetrack and we're five hours away from home, <laughs> we're not stopping on the way home. I, I, next time my feet hit the ground from wherever I'm at, it's going to be Steubenville because I'm yeah. not, <laughs> I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to make this trip any longer, more miserable than what it has to be. I mean, there's, and it, no matter how tired you are, just it seems like that that like anger of a bad day at the racetrack just wants you to you know I don't I don't want anything else to do with this. I just want to be home right now. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's uh, anyone that's competitive will definitely be able to relate to that. Um, so let's get let's get back to um. So you're you know you won you won your first couple races. So um, you've had immediate success when it comes to racing. How um. Like, when did you guys start kind of traveling to other tracks? I mean, the, the first couple of years, were you generally running closer to home, or did you yeah, start to first, venture out? 
the first few years I actually ran, like I ran Good Hope Speedway in New Springfield, Ohio all my first year. And then my second year, I primarily ran Noggle Speedway, which is near the airport in Pittsburgh. And that's a beautiful little boring. I mean, it's probably still my favorite track to this day. It's just, it's an awesome racetrack. And I've raced there a good bit. And I got a, kind of got a story because we traveled a little bit. I mean, we hit some, did some like local traveling, you know, not nothing further than two hours at the time. And back, um, a good friend of mine, John Stevenson, and his brother was kind of my mentor when I was, you know, coming up, making the jump from junior to senior. And right when I was about 15, we still did the local traveling thing. And I mean, I, I won a lot of races and kind of stuck on the, the just winning and not the, not what kind of win it was. It was, you know, just a win's a win. And, um, Court Turner, who built my animal engines and John Stevenson worked for Court Turner. He calls us up and he says, Hey, there's this race at this track called bear tracks and I'm building you a motor and I'm building somebody else a motor. I want you guys to just run my motor cause I need somebody to run good with my motor. And we never, I mean, the track is pretty much brand new and we went and saw the uh, bear who runs the OCKS. This is his like family's racetrack. And we saw him building the racetrack on like something from general rental. And my dad was like, this guy's crazy. And I looked at it, and, I mean, it was just a little dive racetrack. And I told Dad, I said, you know, I think I'm going to be good here. So we roll up to the race uh, about a month after that. And Court's supposed to be bringing us this motor. And we're wondering where he's at, where he's at. He finally comes. We put the motor on. And, you know, I just ran one class at the time. This race was called uh, the King of the Ridge. And this is Bear's biggest race of the year. And... <laughs> we put, you know, I sucked a little bit in the heat races. I started fourth in the race and I ended up getting a lead on the first lap and I led all 25 or 30 laps of it. And it was only like 350 to win and a couple right side tires, but that was the biggest win of my life at that time. And that, that win right there, I mean, looking back at it, I think it gave us the hope or at least, I mean, I always thought I could do it, but it, it kind of proved to my dad, like, Hey, we can start, inching out a little bit and being competitive and so that's that's really what opened it up to us you know wanting to get out and start doing some more local money chasing you know 250s 500s and stuff like that around right. you know still within a couple hours so after that it was a 2014 year and at that time you know from 2011 2010 to 2013 i had a a little bit of a chassis deal with a small brand chassis is called predators and they're primarily in eastern pennsylvania and that deal kind of the deal wasn't much of a deal anymore and you know we tried to do the against the grain thing and at that point we're like all right well let's just get on the get on the bandwagon with phantom because everybody's riding a phantom and we got a triton and i mean it you know paul white set us up with a triton and we were very good right from the get-go with it and had a lot of success with that. So that's really what kind of gave us the hope. And, you know, the probably 13 through 15 years to that we can go around, do some traveling locally and that success, you know, it kind of snowballs into some of the bigger stuff that I'm doing right now. Okay. Um, when you, so how did you end up, you said earlier that you're hooked up with Slack now. And um, I mean, I've been around, I mean, I started racing in the late 80s, um, 
over in Piney Neck, Delaware, back in the day. But um, I know that Slack has been around for a long time. I know a lot of guys, probably in the South, and especially in like Delaware area, like my area, probably haven't even heard of the Chassis, to be honest with you. I mean, they've been around for a while, though. How, um, what kind of brought you to them and kind of started that relationship? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because this is this is actually a really good story as well. So last last spring, last winter, early winter. There's a cart track in uh, New York. It's called State Line Speedway, and it's in the southwest corner of New York. And every year, the day before the 4th of July, so July 3rd, they have a 1,000-to-win clone race. And that racetrack's open tire. So I'm stubborn. I said, I'm not going to buy no Vegas to run this race. So I just put on Facebook. I said, looking for a ride for this race. And, you know, I was really looking for somebody else to give me a ride that – did offer me a ride later after I got my first opportunity. And uh, a guy by the name of Damon Church, he's from Northwest uh, Pennsylvania. And he rode a slack cart and he calls, like he gets hold of me that day. He's like, Hey, here's my number. Call me. He said, and I talked to him. Uh, he's like, let's, let's do this thing. I'm like, man, that's a lot quicker than I wanted to jump into it. Just the day I put it on Facebook and he had a slack pursuit and so as we start talking, the race is getting closer, and he's he hits me about a, a month out from the race. He's like, hey, I need you to buy a set of tires. So I'm like, oh, man, that's not really what I wanted to do. But I ended up buying a set, and I also sell uh, Matt Bryan's preps with uh, Palmetto. So, and he, he advised me to – talked to some guys so i talked to matt i talked to justin with core speed and i kind of came up with a little bit of a plan of what i was going to do with this one set of tires so i i did a setup myself which is kind of crazy to think about it now but and probably about a i went to scale the go-kart out with him about a week out from the race and the go-kart scaled out pretty good and he gets a call from nick harrivan that's like and Nick calls him, says, hey, our guy kind of bailed out of this deal. He says, I'll tell you what you guys can do. Bring the go-kart up, and we'll bring our trailer over, and we'll bring some tires, and we'll race. You know, you guys can race out of our trailer. And at that moment, I'm like, you know, I felt confident that we had something to win the race. And at that moment right there, I said, we're going to go win this thing. And, you know, Damon told me that, you know, he said, just – he said, you never know. You might end up getting a dealership or something out like this. You know, I, he said, I, I think they've been watching you for a little while. And so we, the race day, we get to race day. And, I mean, we are, I, we pull the go-kart over to the performance trailer. And I get to work with Josh Philpott, who I have a bunch of respect for. And they brought tires. And I'm like, you know, I looked at Josh when I walked in the trailer that day. I said, you know, I'm glad you're here because I don't know a damn thing about these Vegas. And we go out and the heat races were okay. Um, we're trying some maxes and stuff like that. And then for the uh, feature time comes and I ran a super heavy class as well, just to get another time on the track. And Josh looks at me before that feature. He says, let's just try those tires you brought. I got out in super heavy and I was just dogging them. I mean, I had like probably a half track lead and coming, it was coming to get like two to go. The axle cassette comes off the back of the go-kart and it just flies, and I do, like, a complete, like, silhouette on the racetrack. <laughs> <laughs> and I just look, or I'm looking for the cassette. I'm like, this is not good. 
you know, because this was really, really good. I mean, I was going the fastest I went all night at 400 weight. And uh, so I <laughs> I look, and we get the go-kart off the track, and I just look over at Josh, and Josh looks like he's about ready to kill Damon. <laughs> and I was like, hey, it's all right. I said, if it was going to happen in any race, it, this is the one to happen in. And so I roll out. We have to rob uh, Nick Harriman's son Levi's rear axle and cassettes and stuff. We had to pretty much rob the whole back end of the go-kart off of him and put it in mine. And uh, I look, we start fourth in a feature, and I kind of get shuffled back to like seventh or ninth or something. And then I start clicking them off, and then I see halfway. I get up to third at halfway. And I looked down at the attack a couple laps later, and that was my fastest lap of the race. I was like, oh, my. I said, we're going to win this thing. I said, I mean, I just had to get settled down in the race, and I ended up coming and winning the race by a straightaway. And it was <laughs> it was just an awesome, awesome deal that we kind of just put together. And I showed up, and just it was like we took a little detour getting there, but it was mission accomplished with the, with the people we had all together, you know, working together to get the go-kart back together. Um. So we end up winning the race, getting through tech, and my dad comes up to me. He says, hey, uh, Nick said something about a chassis deal. And I was like, oh. I said, so, okay, Damon was right. Damon tipped me off a little bit here. And my dad is – he's super nervous. And then we're all talking, chit-chatting after the race. And Josh was like, uh, well, how about you guys just come up and pick up a go-kart? And this race was – on a Wednesday night and we were going up into way up into New York at Can-Am Speedway, which is in Watertown or North of Watertown actually. So it was like seven hours for us. And we were driving kind of past slack on the way. So Josh was like, you guys are going to this race. He's like, well, why don't you just pick up a cart on the way? And my dad's like, oh, I don't know, you know, cause we're fanning for life and was very successful on that stuff. Mm-hmm. And he just didn't, didn't want to change. And like, I understand that. And I told dad on the way home, I said, listen, I said, we're good where we're at now. And we know that we can get good. This can't possibly hurt us. We can only get better. And I was looking at it from the, from the knowledge that those guys have. And that I think that there could be a, a good alliance, not just for the immediate, but for the future. So we go up and it's the next day was the 4th of July. So, I mean, it, I just had my typical, you know, everybody did their typical 4th of July things. And I get a text from Josh that night he says hey you know this is josh from performance just give me a call and i was like all right well i i text him back i said all right i'll call you in the morning i called him friday morning and he's like we'll just you know how about you just pick up this go-kart on the way to can-am you could try it out and just just see how you like it you know i'm like okay and josh uh he busted his ass getting this go-kart together and he sent me a picture late friday night of the go-kart sitting there and it was red and everything i'm like these guys know we're like yeah, red, red and everything. So and my dad is super, super nervous about it because we've been so successful. And, you know, it's not just being successful on one brand. It's that you have all phantom spindles, all phantom tie rods, and the whole nine yards of spare stuff. I mean, we could rebuild a whole go-kart at the racetrack if we needed to. So we have that investment as well. And so we get to performance. We scale the go-kart out, and it looks good. Um, you know, they – we get some spare stuff to go to that race and we go up to Can-Am and we more or less just suck. I mean, it, the, <laughs> the day, the day started out horrible. I mean, it was, it was a racetrack that I, it was just a completely different racetrack than what we have at home. 
per se. And it was like, it was kind of heavy and it was just, it's a black dirt. And I'd never seen nothing like that. Like it reminds you of like Iowa or something black dirt. And it was just completely different. We, and I was starting to get on the right track. You know, I had to come through a, heat after qualifying they did qualify heat race concy or something so i didn't qualify right into the a and i had to run a heat and then like the medium race i didn't i tried something it didn't work too well and before the 2000 nick walks up into my trailer with a bottle he says here he said josh says wipe this twice and i don't know if he said josh said so because he thought i'd listen to josh more than i'd listen to him or what but (laughs) he i was like you know i I said i'm starting 10th in this i ain't got nothing else to do and I just I, – I found a decent set of tires. I wiped it twice, and I didn't even think the set of tires I had was a, a perfect set of tires, but they were good. I wiped that twice. I, I might even wipe it three times because I, sometimes I don't listen. And we sat down the 10th, and by halfway I was leading it, and I was gone. <laughs> and I, I come to get the white flag, and then some lap guy tries to, like, right rear me or something, and the caution comes out. And I know we're going to do, like, a one-lap shootout for two grand. And I'm like, I turned around when that caution came out and I saw I had a straightaway on him. I'm like, this is it. I said, this is over. I said, two grand's going right down the drain here. I'm getting dumped into <coughs> So I ended up getting a good restart, came back and won the race. And it was probably the, I mean, it's a, it's the biggest race I ever won. And, you know, to think of just how that worked out, it was the whole deal with Slack and them. It's just, is it was meant to be just with that result. And the thing with, those people up there, I mean, Josh, Nick, uh, Jody, uh, Josh's girlfriend, Mandy, and everybody up there. I mean, it's more of like a, like their family than just a business partnership. I mean, I don't, I mean, they're my friends. They're not, they're not just people that make go-karts. Right. <clears throat> That's good. I mean, I, I've always pushed the people that, uh, and, not, and this is nothing against anybody's chassis company. I just, I always felt like, you need to get on the best go-kart you can with the smallest company you can, like kind of for those same reasons. And maybe because I'm from a small town and stuff, but um, I definitely just think it's, it's just better. You know what I mean? In my opinion, just with the communication, with the accountability and things like that. So, um, so I'm assuming that after that weekend, you've pretty much been on Slack ever since, correct? <laughs> yeah, we uh, took it home um, the next weekend and that w- the following weekend was Bear Tracks, King of the Ridge again. And I, that race, I won it the first year and kind of lucked into it one year. And, I mean, that race has basically been me versus Mike Dickerson the past couple years, with the exception of a couple one-offs. But it's been basically me versus Mike. And that year, I uh, last year, I ended up winning medium heavy and super heavy and just dominated the whole night. And I text Nick right after. I said, this is probably one of the best go-karts I've ever ridden. I mean, it's... It, 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 it's a really good go-kart. And I mean, I think that a go-kart's not the biggest part of a program, but I mean, when you can have something that you trust, you know, that that's a big part. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, I think, that, you know, the other thing talking about go-karts and trusting it is a lot of times, uh, and this has been brought up before in the past, a lot of times people try to get on the newest available chassis that comes out, whether it be for their, from their manufacturer or from someone else. And, a lot of times, man, I just think you're better with something that you know and that you've learned on and you know what's going to happen as opposed to trying to figure out the new thing as soon as it comes out. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, I agree with that to an extent. 
I mean, when the Phantom stuff was going on, I mean, we, when the Recon came out, we jumped right on that and we're successful. Um, same thing when the Minicon came out and even right at the beginning of last year when the Deuce came out. I mean, we jumped on all those and had good success. So, I mean, and my selling point was when I got on the Slack, I said, listen, if you guys are looking for tires and look at the past four go-karts I've ridden, they're all different. There's a common denominator in all of this. You got the same guy driving it, and you got the same guy doing the tires. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not always the go-kart. I mean, but I, I probably would be one of those suckers for uh, the new the new thing, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, and part of it is, I mean, a lot of those go-karts from Phantom have gotten a bad rap, and I've never been one to bash a go-kart. I said, listen, I said, I've, I've always been able to get them go. I mean, I don't know what you're doing, but I mean, a lot of go-karts, you know, for whatever reason is going to get a bad look. I mean, you know, there's only so many ways you're going to bend tubes. So no matter which way you look at it, I mean, it's going to be a go-kart and a go-kart's a go-kart. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, the reason I said that is because we always jumped on the newest stuff and and like struggled for like a month and a half or two months or whatever. But, um, so yeah, definitely. And I, I agree with you, man. I've kind of like in the mindset and you probably have the same mindset you just alluded to. It's uh, for the most part, any chassis out there, like you can get it to roll. It might take you a little longer, a little less time or whatever, but I don't think that's the, um, I don't think that's the end all be all. You know what I mean? I think it's almost yeah. who you can support and who supports you the most sometimes. Yeah. I mean, in my past, I've, I've been one of those people that kind of had the beginner's luck where like the, you get something new in the first month on it. I mean, you're just, you're on fire and then then you get your growing pains like after that like new wears off or whatever i don't know it's i mean i'm super i'm really superstitious so (laughs) i mean i don't it could just be my head yeah no i'm with you man um so i just want to kind of touch base on some on burst tires for a second um and let's just say for people listening that uh, maybe are in your area, I know, you know, burst racing is pretty big, you know, around Ohio yeah. and PA and stuff. What, um, if somebody was kind of getting started and they wanted to make that jump from say like the local level to trying to travel, like you first started off a couple hours away, a couple, maybe like a bigger race mm-hmm. once a month or every month, roughly like, how would you kind of approach that? If they asked you how many tires, how many sets of tires do I need? Uh, I'm not looking for like specific details as far as property, yeah. but like just like a general outlook. And, I, and I'm kind of asking for myself too. You know what I mean? But um, like just in general, like when it comes to the burst, like what, how do you kind of, what's the direction that you would point someone in? I guess is what I'm asking. My, my biggest thing is you have to kind of, I mean, there's Burris 33 racing or Burris racing in general. And you have to kind of find your niche where, you know, whether you're going to run low bite racetracks and that's what you're going to travel to, or you're going to try to run the better racetracks. And what I do even to now is I kind of gear my program around racing low bite racetracks where you're going to need to round cut tire and preferably a fresher tire, that year tire for the most part. So I kind of gear myself around that stuff. And that's what I'd kind of advise anybody that's new to it getting out is don't always look to run the best racetrack. Like, I mean, Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania, especially has some awesome racetracks. I mean, they're beautiful, high, good bite where you don't have to do anything stupid to the tire. But I mean, if you're the guy that just bought three or four new sets of tires, you're going to get smoked out there because you don't have something that's cured up. I mean, my advice to somebody is, you know, 
maybe at the beginning of the year, get yourself, uh, you know, get yourself some new tires and then halfway through the year, get yourself some more new tires. I mean, I don't, and it, it, it's budget driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, there's no, there's no exact answer on what somebody needs to have, but it's good to have a little bit of a variety. Like I like to have a, I like to have a selection of tires within like, like this past year's 2020. So 95% of my tires are 2019 tires, 2020 tires. And that's it. I mean, like last year was probably the best year I had. And I only bought 14 sets of tires, which is kind of crazy to think when you step back and look at the other forms of carding we have and just some of what the other guys are doing. I mean, you don't have to, you know, you don't always have to have, nine million new sets of tires i mean as long as you get yourself a decent variety and i mean you got you know sixty thousand tires and eighty thousand tires and then you got stuff that you run down and i mean you're pretty well set to but the biggest thing is just don't don't jump outside of your means because that'll end it a lot quicker than it can get started I mean, that and was kind of a, that was kind of a roundabout answer, I guess. No, no, that's a good answer, man. I I like it, dude. There's like we talked before, man. There's no right or wrong answer. I just oh, yeah. if I ask the same question to three or four or five guys, like I think when people listen to it, they're gonna see like, okay, this is this is the common denominator between them. So I definitely need X X, you know. And then like, all right, well, this two of these guys said this. So I just think it kind of gives some information, um, especially people that run you know, high level. I mean, I consider you a high level first guy. So I just think hearing that sometimes just reassures them that they're on the right path or they're on the wrong path either or, but, um, yeah, my not, biggest, the oh, biggest sorry. thing is so you have to, uh, you got to race within your means. And if you can't, I mean, if you're find yourself where you're running the same set of tires, like three out of four weekends in a month, you probably either need to just stick to the local deal or only race a couple times a month. If, if that's what you can afford, because you can't, I mean, a lot of people fall into the rut where they're running down their program and they don't even know it until they go to some racetrack that's a little bit harder and they're chirping tires all the way around it. Right. Um, and just kind of touching base on, I, I kind of asked you about adults, but I know that you help, you help some uh, junior drivers as well. Um, would that advice pretty much be the same for junior drivers as well? Um, yeah yeah it's it's roughly the same advice and i mean the junior racing is especially junior one junior two is a little bit more forgiving once you start getting into junior three it get you're at that point where a lot of the top drivers are very good and can be competitive on the adult level and they're also like either their dad or somebody knows about knows something that is really going to get them going or they've been around it long enough to kind of have that extra edge on the tire game. Mm-hmm. And last question about the tires for a second, but um, as far as if, if someone's running tires and um, it's been a few weeks since they've raced and they want to resurface their tires, um, any advice on resurfacing? Yeah. Um, you gotta just, I mean, Everybody has a perfect uh, coolant they like to use. I mean, whether it be simple green or some type of soap or a methanol mix or something like that. I mean, I can do a tire probably 20 different ways to come out with the same result. But the biggest mistake that a lot of people make, and my, when my dad serviced tires like one time for the first time in the last 
five years, he he got a new uh, he got an ass tune from me because he would try to like last that one piece of sandpaper through like a whole set. And I said, if it's not working anymore, just get rid of it because you're going to end up burning all these tires, and I'm going to have to go through them anyways. So <laughs> you know the the sandpaper, it's like forty cents for a piece of sandpaper to put on your wheel. Just throw it out and get another one. <laughs> You know, it's cheaper. It's cheaper than burning a sixty-dollar tire up. That's going to cost. You know, and not even that. It's going to take you half an hour to get that back out. So then you just wasted half an hour of your time. And I look at a lot of things, especially now as I'm super busy with school and whatnot. I mean, time is time is money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so I kind of touched on junior drivers for advice as far as tires go. Um, looking through your your Facebook pages, and uh, I saw a name that that pops up on my my little like people you may know on Facebook. Um, a kid, I'm gonna say a kid. I mean, Bryce Johnson is that the dad's name or the boy's yes. name? Okay, Bryce is, Bryce is the father. Okay, uh, so that's that's what I saw yeah. Bryce, and I saw the the kid. Or I say the kid. I don't know his name yet, but um, the seven 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 on there. So um, yeah. What's your relationship with them, and um, yeah. kind of how did you guys get hooked up and stuff like that? Yeah, so the junior, uh, his name is Cash Johnson. They call him uh, Cash Money or Cash Jackpot Johnson. I like that. <laughs> so I like it. He's got cool a, <laughs> I mean, he does have a cool name. I'll give him that. So he's, he's a little bit ahead of the game just looking at Race Monitor before they even make a lap. But <laughs> <laughs> he is – their engine builder is Bill Williams of Trick Connection. And Bill does a lot of our tech in Ohio. And – I know, just know Bill from being in tech, you know, when you're fortunate enough to win a lot, you get to know the tech guys. So Bill called me one day and he said, hey, I have this guy that's looking for somebody to do tires. But he said, but that's not it. They're looking for more than that. I said, well, what's that supposed to mean? And I, I was like, well, I'll give him a call and see what happens. So I called Bryce and Bryce is one of he is probably one of the nicest guys that you can come across. And he is like, he is a formerly a, like a chop cut rebuild custom truck kind of guy. He's got the beard and the tattoos and stuff. Like you would think you'd look at him and he's the perfect example of why you don't judge somebody by looking at him. Cause you think like this guy's going to come kill me. And he is the kindest guy that you'd ever come across. And he was telling me that, you know, he, he had at the time two boys racing, Cash and Cooper. And Cooper was kind of, he was just along for the ride. And they really raced because of Cash. And Coop, you know, he's the more, he's the comic relief of the bunch. You know, he's always screwing around, joking around. And since then, he's kind of stepped back. And he'll come to the races and help his brother, but he doesn't ride anymore. And Cash is the shoe. And they kind of got to the situation where a lot of their competition has a mentor and, you know, whether it be, you know, other top guys, you know, doing their tires or racing with them and whatnot. And up North, that's not, that's not as big as a thing up North as it is down South, but it's starting to catch on that way. And more or less, they said, you know, we'll, you know, we want to travel with you and, you know, we want you to help bring cash up. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't, I said, this is, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it kind of struck me like, okay, I, I never really thought about this. And so I said, well, 
I said, I cut tires. He said, how about you get some tires? I forget how it came up, but we were going to Ben Hur for Buddy Wilson's big race last summer. And he needed to get tires for that race. So I did a couple sets for him, and we kind of pitted together and kind of felt it out a little bit. And we talked to that race, and I talked to Alan Garner, who kind of mentored Brady Hayes through the ranks a little bit in Kentucky. And Alan's a super good guy. And I asked him just how he went about mentoring Brady. And I, he just said, you know, the, the kid's dedicated. And if he wants to do it, and if you like the people, you know, he kind of just showed me how, how he went about things, you know, not getting into specifics. Right. And, you know, he just said, you know, I do the tires and whatnot, but, you know, I don't, I don't charge these people nothing because they're dedicated. And I told Bryce that, you know, because he wanted to offer to pay me each weekend to help the kid and stuff like that. And I said, listen, at the time they were on, uh, they were on a different go-kart. And I said, how about you don't, you guys don't have to pay me every weekend. I, I don't, I don't think that's right. And then plus a lot of it is if they pay me and then we still go out and suck. And I'm, I mean, I kind of look like an ass, at least in my eyes. And I said, I, I do tires. I sell go-karts. I said, if you guys just get what I sell, like anything that I sell that's possible to get from me, if you just buy that through me, so that way I get my, my dealer cut or whatever, I'll help I'll help your kid. And, I mean, it, it's been so much more than that. I mean, they're super people. Um, you know, Bryce has his dad and his father-in-law come to every race and cash and either one of his two brothers, sometimes both are there. And we all kind of we pit together and we all play off together, and it's it's more like we're one one unit going to the racetrack now, and it's 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 nice to have somebody when you travel, you know that you don't have to worry about oh I wonder you know somebody that I know is going to be here, and in the meantime I have another buddy his name's Chris Miller, that he's he's kind of come along with us too, so he is kind of he's a senior driver he's a couple years he's a year or two younger than me. And he is, I see, I helped him out a lot. And uh, it, he, I kind of see a little bit of where I was a few years ago in him because he's, you know, he's heading up his own program. He's learning the tires and working on the go-karts and kind of the whole nine yards. So I, I really respect that out of somebody because there's really not many people that are my age that seem to be like that dedicated to it. So that's one we kind of got our own little, our own little group that for the most part we travel together or if one of us aren't racing, somebody's going to come branch or, you know, we're usually all, all together. Gotcha. <clears throat> yeah. I think that, um, especially having a kid that can drive and, and like, once you guys figure out your program, you know, whatever it is, like if he's on 30,000 swipe twice and you know, you need to be on 50,000 swipe, whatever, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you yeah. kind of have that comparison that, especially when you get into like the spring and the fall where, you know, you have dew falling, the tracks changing time-wise, like the more you can get out there or have a hand in something that's out there on the track, it, it really is beneficial to you. You know what I mean? And um, I would assume that it was beneficial to you. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the nice thing about it though, is there, there could be days where I just, you know, whatever I try is not going and, you know, I, I just, I'm just not having a day and cash goes out and wins, you know, one or two classes. I'm like, well, hell, my junior guy at least won, so that doesn't make me feel too bad on the way home. 
So ahead. It seems like he cashes on it. You know, he could pick me up when I'm down, and uh, vice versa. I mean, we we feed off each other, and I mean, it's just cool to have a. You know, I mean, I'm I'm only 22, but it's cool to have have a you know younger kid looking up to you. I mean, he's even got his his jackets kind of the same velocity design as mine and stuff like that. And I mean, it's just a it's cool to have a have a little guy like that. That's good, man. I, I think a lot more people would benefit from stuff like that. I am. Um, I'm sure that there's days you're like, man, I really don't want to go out here and do this. But when you have other people that are kind of holding you accountable, it's it's a little bit easier. You know what I mean? I think, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the thing about having a junior driver as well as doing my own stuff is that, you know, it opened up a whole new perspective when I started doing it. I mean, I got to look at it from like, OK, this is a kid. And I mean, Bryce has pretty much told me like anything I, I feel like I got to say to him, I could go ahead and say it. And Cash is really good. At, you know, I'm working with him a lot on giving me feedback. And cause that's one of the most important things that even adults can't give perfect feedback. So I kind of focus with him on that. And it's just a, it's just overall, it's a different perspective that kind of, it's, it's a different look from my own personal racing stress. So I can, you know, not think about that and, you know, get my mind off of, you know, kind of like taking the cobwebs out of an area you're not working. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just nice to, it's nice to have that as well as, you know, doing your own thing to, you know, kind of keep you on your toes. It gives you a different, you know, maybe a, a new challenge or have you look at something a little bit differently. Yeah, I agree, man. I, um, and I, I mean, I came up helping, you know, the kids, you know, Alex and Brandon White, and um, they moved up to adults, and I helped them as well. But even going back to, like, right now, like, I'm pretty involved in martial arts, and, um, like, I, I instruct some of the kids' classes. Actually, I have, I have a class tonight, but um, one of the biggest things that I didn't realize is when you start teaching how much you actually learn, because it's not like – oh, yeah, you just got to go out there and hit the line. You know what I mean? Like, you have to break it oh, down, yeah. especially especially with a child. And I think breaking it down for other people actually kind of relates to you, that you're probably, at least for me, it's like when you're out there, you're like, you're kind of breaking down in your, like, your self-talk is kind of breaking down what you were telling them. And probably translate and kind of helps you keep it at the basic level, even for you, like when things are going off a little bit, you know? Um, yeah, sometimes I catch myself, I'm talking like, <laughs> I'm talking at a college level and he's sitting there at a, you know, grade school level. And then I, I'll look, I'll look back at him and he'll have like a glazed over look at me. I'm like, all right, well, I gotta, I gotta have to try a different approach. And that's the same with, you know, coaching anything. I've coached a little bit of basketball and I officiate basketball in uh, in the wintertime. And I mean, it, it's a different, it's a different perspective when you have to be that teacher. I agree. Uh, there's definitely, when it comes to go-karting, man, there's no better teacher than someone that's actually out there driving. And and I have, I have two kids myself, man. And I think the other thing that, um, and you probably have this conversation with, um, with, with uh, Bryce, is you telling him as like sort of a... Like he, not really a hero, but like someone he's looking up to, like a mentor. It just you could say the same thing as his dad, but he's gonna receive it different because you're not his dad. You know what I mean? So yes, sure. yes, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. I trust me. I bet. Um, you know, there's the things that Bryce is probably uh, happy to have you and in, anyone really for that matter, man. It's just coming from someone else. It's like I said, you can say the same thing over and over, but you know, someone else says it just means something different to them. Yeah, um, and I mean, he's a, he's a good kid too. I mean, he's definitely well behaved. 
And I mean, he, there's sometimes he tries to be, you, you know, he'll be a kid at the racetrack and, you know, ride bikes and play with the other ones. And I just tell him, I said, listen here, dude, I said, if you want to go screw around at the racetrack, just don't screw around on the racetrack. And, you know, if he, I don't care if he goes and rides his bike or whatever, you know, to take a break and get his mind off of it. But if we're going out on the racetrack and sucking and playtime's over, we gotta, we gotta get back to what we came here for. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, if you want to play around at the track, but not on the track, I like it, man. You should get like a t-shirt made up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, um, so I uh, see like when you guys are and this may be kind of redundant, but when you guys are struggling, say if both of you are struggling, I mean, where's, and just for people listening, like where are some of the first places you're looking for? Um, I mean, I think tires is probably the obvious answer, but um, anything else that, you know, when you get both are struggling, where where do you kind of start diving into to try to figure it out or kind of finesse the problem? Yeah, I, I was afraid you're going to ask this question, but um, it's a tough one because there's sometimes you can get in a slump and you're just stuck there. I mean, the biggest thing is you got to keep, you know, powering through it and you have to just kind of simplify simplify of what you're doing because there's times where you a lot of it is chemical where you try just getting too fancy and trying some stuff and if you have 20 different chemicals in a trailer and you don't really have a great idea of how each one works specifically you probably got too many so if you just step back simplify that and you know just go with the x's and o's and try to be you know take the straight line answer instead of trying to hit everything on the way and I, I think it, it, a lot of it's just, you know, let's get back to the basics. Let's, let's look at what we're doing. And if you have a specific problem, I mean, you need to kind of sit back and evaluate it. I mean, I've, I've had some certain issues with go-karts and handling issues. It seems like no matter what tire I put on, it does the same thing. So then you know it's the go-kart and then, or whatever. So sometimes if it works for me, you know, it doesn't always work for you or, or whatever. And if you're in a slump, I mean, the biggest thing is to, you know, now with my friends and people that I can talk to, I mean, just get on the phone and, you know, talk out your situation with somebody else. You might not have to ask them what they think the answer is, but sometimes if you just talk to somebody else and get a different perspective than the one that you're, that you have, you know, it could be something right under your nose and you don't even know it. Right. Gotcha. Well, for not wanting to hear that answer, that's a pretty good answer. (laughs) (laughs) or for hear that question sorry but uh yeah um if you so if i'm thinking about like the best memory that you would have if you had to it could be more than one but what are some of the things that have really stuck out over the years and it it doesn't even have to be it could be on the way to the track or or at the track or wins or losses but um you know if your career ended right now what are some of the things that you would probably um i guess more cherish and kind of kind of think about for the years to come yeah i mean it's there's so much more to racing than just the actual race i mean like i come home this season's been tough and i mean i'd come home like the past you know most of the season i'd just be kind of pissed off at the world regardless of what happened and the past couple weeks uh, the past couple times i went out you know i with my crew and my uncle my buddy luke and my friend jason you know we uh we've had good times at the racetrack and, you know, it's nice to, it's nice to get to that. But I mean, there's, there's so much in this sport that is just beyond the racing and probably one of my, one of the things that I cherish the most 
about racing is just the, the people you meet and how crazy it is that you can meet somebody for whatever, you know, it's just, you know, you got, you do have a second family at the racetrack. And, you know, one thing that I have a story about a friend that uh, is pretty close to me. And there was probably, I would say it's, uh, it's probably 2017, 2016. It's not, for, it's not long after I got hooked up with Justin in corner speed. I get a message from a guy and his Facebook profile pictures that Dale Earnhardt from like the eighties where he's like opening up his driver's jacket and it says like I'm badass or something. <laughs> and I'm like, who is this guy? And he's asking me questions about burst tires and corner speed prep and stuff like that. I'm like, I don't, you know, what is this? And this guy's name was Ricky Reese. And he, he's the fellow that's in my profile picture. He, he moved, he was in the U S coast guard. And he ended up getting stationed in Cleveland to be on like an icebreaker boat. And he was, you know, coming up and he just loved racing. He's originally from the Savannah area in Georgia. And he moved up and he just, he had a huge passion for racing. Although he never, he never raced himself. He had a huge, you know, he just had a big passion for it. And he started talking to me about stuff. And I was like, Hey, I said, I could always use a wrench. And, you know, he started coming to the racetrack and we just, you know, he'd drive down from Cleveland to my place and we'd go to the races and stuff and we just hit it off as friends right from the right from the get go. And we you know, we and he would always be on the phone. Like I'm like, dude, there's sometimes I can't even text you this much about racing and stuff. And he's always <laughs> like there's probably people that listen to this podcast that he's talked to and like it's it's unreal that he's always on the phone, you know, talking to all these people. And every time it seemed like every time we went to we went to help like he came to help me anyways it would be like something be going right and it would just go wrong you know i'd be leading the race get past later something just wouldn't work out and there was one race we was coming back from we stopped at like a huddle house and the service was absolutely atrocious we spent like two hours in there it felt like to just get food and it was just a mess but that was a that was a little memory and then i'd probably say the biggest one was the last the last race he ever had, um, he ever came to with us was last year at the beginning of the year, the first OCKS event. It was at Martinville in Ohio. And, you know, I was, I was never really, I was, I've been to that racetrack one time. I wasn't very good and I qualified decent and we got out medium and I ended up winning the race and super heavy. I, I was the fastest car in the track at super heavy and sometimes super heavy gets to be a big melee, <laughs> And, you know, it just didn't work out in my favor. And then medium, I go out, and I'm really good. And then in the heavy, I ended up finishing second. But after that, that was the last race he had with us. And he was uh, – because he got reassigned to uh, Alaska. I forget where where in Alaska. But it was uh, – it wasn't like Anchorage or something like that. I, I just slipped my mind. But anyways, he got moved to Alaska. And he was – you know, that was his last – his last race with us, we finally got to get like a legitimate win. And, you know, I won one before and ironically, uh, the, the one race I won before Dickerson's chain came off when he was leading. So I told my dad, that's, I beat Mike the same way you did, I guess. But, <laughs> <laughs> but back to the Martinville thing, that was his last, that was his last kind of deal with us before he got, you know, he got this new assignment and he got a promotion in the coast guard and moved away. And not terribly long after um, he was moved away, he um, 
I got a call from Justin Hindley with the corner speed, and I'm like, all right, that's kind of odd. You know, he uh, Justin doesn't really call me. You know, I talk to him occasionally, only usually when I just need something. And then I got a call from, and it turned out that he ended up uh, passing away in a hiking accident. So, I mean, it was kind of tough to lose a close friend, no matter how much you, uh, you know, we took, you know, he moved away, but we'd still, we'd still talk all the time and just chit chat about racing. And, and I mean, if there's any kind of racing gossip, I mean, that, that guy knew it. And, you know, it, after seeing like after after his passing and stuff people on facebook and you know all throughout the karting world and stuff of how many people he actually talked to you know because for a short time when i um ricky and i we were roommates when i had one of my internships in cleveland for engineering and stuff like that or in the cleveland area and you know he was he was nice enough to say yeah hey man just come live with me for the summer and you know whatever so i mean we're you know, we just became really, really good friends. And I'd always get on him about being on the phone. And, you know, he'd talk to his folks back home and stuff like that. And when I seen how many people that he actually talked to after he passed, you know, that said that, you know, they talked to him on a regular basis. I mean, it, I understood why the guy was on the phone all the time. Because, I mean, the, the numbers of people that that guy talked to, you know, and was a part of somebody's life and actually cared was it was just unreal so i mean that was probably probably one of the one of the coolest memories especially i mean even looking back after the other circumstances i mean that right. was a yeah that, that was that one's going to mean a lot to me and then yes. i'd probably say probably say one more on a on a more on a lighter note i guess is uh the first thousand i ever won was you know it seems like for years you know, like 2016, 17, and all of 18, I, I would be like in good position to win a thousand, and it just would never pan out. In the last race of 2018, pretty much, I borrowed, I sold my mini con at the time, and I didn't have a go kart. I didn't want to sell it, but the guy came up and he just bought the go kart, you know, so if he's got money, I'll sell it. And I called Court Turner up who had a go-kart sitting in his garage. It was a Triton. And I said, Court, I, my dad said, Court, we need a go-kart because we sold ours. So we borrowed Court's go-kart, went to went to New York at Allegheny Memorial Speedway. And I was not very good. I was not very good, again, to start out the day. And then in the super heavy feature, I was – no, in the light feature, I was all right. And then the super heavy feature, I ended up winning it, leading all the laps. And then in the heavy feature, I ended up winning. And, like, that moment – after that race, like my dad knew how much I was trying to finally get that monkey off my back. And we just, you know, he walks like over to the scale where I'm at and we just look at each other. And I mean, we just hugged each other. Cause it was, I mean, we knew how much and how hard it was to finally get there. And, you know, it's just probably one of the, one of the most awesome days that we have. And then, I mean, the whole ride home, we listened to that, uh, Sammy Kershaw, queen of my double ride trailer, the entire <laughs> way home. I mean, it was, it was just awesome. Uh, that's cool, man. Yeah, it seems like, um, well, thank you for sharing about your, your buddy, Ricky. Um, and like with your dad, it seems like um, he's been right there with you throughout the whole thing, kind of looking back at um, some of your early pictures, racing and stuff like that. 
Um, so hopefully, you know, hopefully he'll be listening. I actually, um, I sent him a, it's kind of a last minute deal, man. I sent him a friend request last night to try to, <laughs> uh, to try to get like some, you know, anything that he wanted me to bring up. I just wasn't thinking that far ahead, but, uh, uh but, so, well, so. but the way my dad is on Facebook, he'll see, he laughs at me because every time he sees somebody that adds him or in his suggested that I'm friends with him or whatever. And I just made him one a Facebook a couple years ago because he'd always be on mine checking out the racy stuff. And <laughs> then, but he'd let somebody sit in the, like the request box for a while. He's like, I got to let him wait on it. I was like, come uh, on. <laughs> hey, man. No, that's all good, man. It's, uh, it's like being back in high school where you, like, you call the girl, but she's going to wait a little while, like a day to call you back oh, yeah. or something. You know? yeah. No, that's cool. But uh, So if your dad sees a friend request from James Lewis, that's uh, that's me. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, he'll probably say something. He'll be like, I see this guy, you're friends with him, of course. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, I'm kind of getting to the end, man. Um, I do have a couple questions and um, a couple other things to bring up. But one thing I wanted to bring up is, uh, for you personally, what's faster, long hair or short hair? Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've... I like my long hair, but I, I don't think I can keep it very long. I mean, I, I let that, there was about a year straight. I, uh, I, I went without cutting it and I, I enjoyed it, but I guess, you know, my mom didn't really like it too much. So, I mean, I kind of just stick with, stick with the one garage haircut, buzz cut deal and roll with that every few months. <laughs> I gotcha. Um, if you had a billboard, um, that's at the entrance to, We'll say, are you going to race anywhere this weekend for Thanksgiving? No, no. no. Okay. We're pretty much, uh, we were going to go to Liberty Indoor, but that, that was canceled. So okay. I don't, we're, I don't even know when, when the next race is going to be. I guess we're going to try to, we might go uh, to that Aner Burris Blue Gray race. Uh, I'm not 100% certain on that yet. Okay. So Thanksgiving Thunder this weekend, there's a billboard right at the entrance as people are going in to Carnesville. And you can put anything on that billboard that you want. Um, what do you think it would say, or what would be on there? Oh, it might not be good advice, but I just probably say like "white goat" or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's a that's kind of a tough question. I mean, I I don't know. Other than welcome, I mean, when I see a track that I've never been to, I might get the might get the jitters. I just put like, you know, this is this is it. This is actually it. Or, you know, you made it. Because <laughs> sometimes yeah. there's, you know, some people, there's a, a lot of the battles just getting to the racetrack. <laughs> Any advice on maybe some high school kids or middle school kids that are listening to this and they have to design and build a mousetrap car that's powered by <laughs> mousetrap. And the reason I bring this up, man, because I saw that in back when I was – I'm going to say, like, in eighth grade, we had the same competition. It wasn't how far you could go. You had to, like, get it to stop within a certain distance is how it worked. So, um, but we ended up winning that for a grade and stuff. But it kind of stuck out to me. Um, I saw your mousetrap car, which looked like it was <laughs> CDs that were hollowed out and uh, maybe a little bit lighter. But uh, any advice for someone that's going to have to do that? Yeah, uh, mine was a little bit too big. I mean, you just got weight reduction and maximize the energy you have so that's why on that i put like a big long uh coat hanger type of thing to get as much pull on my on my mousetrap so i mean i guess that you know i try to get as much bang for your buck 
I guess that's good advice for anything. <laughs> that could that should be on the billboard going in such. Oh, and uh, something I kind of, so I'm 6'3", 230, so I was about 20 years old last time. I was, like, really right there at, like, 195 or 200 to run super heavy and, like, really competitive. But you, just looking at you and uh, the way you're sitting in the seat and stuff, um, it looks like, and you've, you've alluded to the fact that you've run super heavy a little bit, but um, yeah. is that... Is that really the class that um, best suits you for your size and stuff? Or, um, like, do you really see a difference in, like, going from heavy to medium to super heavy? I mean, I could tell I could tell from super heavy to medium right now. I mean, the go-kart's a hell of a lot more fun to drive at medium weight for whatever reason. Just taking all that weight off, it seems like it wants a dart wherever. Right. But, I mean, for my size, I mean, it's, you know, this is something I'm glad you, I'm glad you said it because it, it's something that I feel can be done with a Burris tire that really can't be done as well anyways with a Maxxis or something like that. Because, I mean, you take guys like bigger racers, and I think it's a blessing that I am my size. I'm six foot, roughly 200. And so I am like the perfect, you know, size. I could sit in a go-kart and be like 355 for medium weight. You know, I could run heavy and super heavy. So, and a lot of our races around here is there's no warm ups or any of that stuff, which I'm a huge fan of. The you know you got your medium heavy, super heavy, and that's it. You know, no semi pros, no warm ups. You know, that's the that's the classes you're running. You know, and I think in Ohio for the OCKS and Jamie Wheeler's Midwest Race Champions, I think we have probably the best class structure set up in the country. You know, as far as trying to be efficient with it. But I think that my size, you know, it's a gift to actually be able to run that extra super heavy class because sometimes, you know, you can only go and run a couple classes. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the other – there's another guy. I mean, Mike Dickerson, who is somebody who I have the utmost respect for, and I've looked up to him ever since I was little. And he's another one of those guys. It's a – he's a bigger guy. I mean, he's probably six – two or three i'd say and he's right around 200 pounds you know two and he's a he's a bigger guy and he can be competitive at medium heavy and super heavy and that's you know i think that's just it's something with the burst tire where you can be competitive like that and you know it you know you can just i don't i don't know how and it's not it's not taken away from anything that mike knows or that i know because we obviously have to work a little harder being a bigger guy running medium. I mean, it's, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no doubt about that or there's no alluding to saying that because you, you have to be good to be successful regardless. You know, it's not just that you're the perfect size driver. And, you know, one thing that, especially in a medium class is uh, probably a while back, three or four years ago, somebody told me that they said, Oh, you're too big. You can never be competitive in medium. And I'm telling you what, in the past couple of years, I've won more money in medium than any other class probably combined. I mean, the two grand was a medium, and I think a half the thousands I've won in, the, in that time span were medium. So, I mean, I don't think, you know, I think that's just a, yeah, I don't know if it was just a little kick in the ass to really get going or what, but, you know, somebody telling me I probably can't do it, that's, that's going to really get me going. <laughs> do you think some of that has, and I'm just kind of theorizing here, um, like I said, I've I definitely was more more specialized in maxis, but it seems like with maxis tires, it's there's really more bite 
through the tire as opposed to maybe on burst you can get a little more bite through the chassis so maybe with the weight and the way it's transferring mm-hmm. maybe gives you a little more bite as opposed to hurting you compared yeah, to yeah yeah I, I think i think that because i mean a lot of especially in in my region that a lot of our racetracks are smaller low bite you know kind of you know for lack of a better term people call them shitholes so, mm-hmm. you know, the, you're going to need that, that, like the bigger guy might even have an advantage than the guy that's running 375 and has to stack 50 pounds on the bottom of the seat. You know, cause right. we, we got, we got some weight in our shoulders that can get over on the right side tires and work the go-kart a different way. And, mm-hmm. you know, that being said, you know, just from working with, um, this, the slack guys is, you know, like one of their other top riders is John Keister. And John's probably 150 pounds and six inches shorter than me or four or five, you know. Mm-hmm. So I can't run the same numbers in my go-kart as what he runs in his because we are two completely different ends of the spectrum as far as build, you know. And then in that regard, too, I could never, ever be competitive on Coke syrup, you know, just in my size. It's, it's you know, you have to take it, you, your advantage is where you can. Right. Yeah, I agree, man. I think that – um. I said for a long time, man, if you're, you know, you need to be about 150, 160, 5'6", five, 5'9", five, down south. I mean, there are exceptions to the rules, you know what I mean? Like Austin Yarborough, you know, yeah. like there are definitely exceptions to the rules, but um, definitely when it comes to that. And, um, you know, you look at some of the indoor races, like you said, for Coke syrup, and it's generally the smaller guys, um, you know, typically do better just the way the weight transfers and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, um, and I think, I think that's kind of played into like my favorite kind of racetracks have been the the lower bike kind of junk racetracks where it's you know i i like those tracks where you got to get up and wipe up a tire and just be aggressive and i think those those kind of racetracks also got a little character where it it puts a lot into the actual driving of the go-kart rather than going out there and holding the steering wheel mm-hmm. and i think that's you know i at least like to think that's where i i can make up my make up my ground on some people yeah, absolutely. And uh, and like you said, man, I mean, some people, for lack of better terms, would call them a shithole or whatever. But the thing is, I mean, my great-grandmother used to say, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. It's absolutely. like, if you have, you know, you have a soil type, and, and you know how it is, and you've been, you've raced enough to know, but it's like, it, from where I am, closer to the beach, it's a sandier clay. Um, if you go down mm-hmm. south, it's a little more clay. It's just a tighter compaction, how it's rolled, and um I know, and, and I've tried to allude to that a little bit because I have a background of like soil, you know, testing soil and soil profiles and stuff. But, you know, I've had on Mackie Flood and, um, and Tate Vermillion, guys that have, are really good at doing tracks, to try to like get people to think about that stuff because um, it does play a big part, you know, especially like how you're going to prepare your, your team and your tires for the weekend, not necessarily at the track so much. But um, so, so, yeah, that's a good yeah, point. You have yeah, there. absolutely. And that you mentioned Mackie. Cause he did the track for Jamie Wheeler's Midwest race. And, you know, people were, I, and myself kind of included, I was worried that this racetrack is going to get too good for my program. And then Mackie went live a couple days before the race. And I, and, you know, I was like, you know, this track's only been raced on it. Waynesfield's only been raced on one time before this year and it's our dirt. And then he went live a couple days before the race. And uh, you could just kind of tell in his voice that <laughs> it was a little bit of a curveball for him. And I was like, all right, well, we'll be good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we ended up having a decent day there. So that Waynesfield, um, yeah, out in Ohio, yeah, that's 
I mean, it's been a long, I was actually there. So the WK nationals used to go there. And on uh, the year that um, I was working on Brandon white stuff, he won the national championship was the last time we went there. And I don't know if, if you remember, even know this, but that's when that kid got burned. Yeah. Brian Renfro from actually closer to my area. I think he's more from like the Maryland area, but um, yeah, that's how like the whole prep deal with WK kind of, uh, that was like the, the big event that kind of ended that whole thing back in the day. Yeah, I don't. I think that was that probably happened in '05, and I started in '06, so that was right before my time. But I, I mean, I remember, like, you know, running to flatheads and animals and stuff like that. That every time you get alky, they'd just write on there, you know, that you know, be everybody started taking a little bit more precaution about that stuff. Right. Absolutely. All right. So a couple last things, man, and I'll let you get going. Um. So just kind of like your general thoughts on not really like where go-karting is now, but, you know, you're pretty invested in it. I mean, you're, you're definitely, you know, you're in mechanical engineering. I think a lot of that's going to translate to your own program or even the business side of what you do in go-karting. Um, where would you kind of like to see go-kart go or um, not that there's anything wrong with it, but just like growing in the future i mean i think more live events or at least taped events that are that are good um just kind of to promote the sport i feel like you know you were talking about classes and how it's nice for you to be able to run medium heavy and super heavy because you don't have all the semi-pro and no pro and and i always kind of allude to on um on my facebook page that i wish promoters would uh promote the sport and not classes as much you know what i mean it's yeah. like yeah. you add you add three more classes you get three thousand dollars more but it's like who are you really helping and i also think that you you end up diluting the product you know if you win a big race this weekend well there's another one next weekend so how do you if you had dessert every day for your whole entire life it just doesn't mean as much and i think that we need to get back to like more prestigious events but um that's my own opinion but like how do you kind of see it especially in your area you know it's a little bit different maybe um so any thoughts on that Um, i mean i think that and i see carding as a you know, uh, as a region and stuff that, or all throughout the country, the one thing we need, and it's been mentioned on previous podcasts, is unity. I mean, we need some kind of organization that says, here's what the classes we need to run are, and kind of a rubric for everybody. And luckily, I mean, Jamie Wheeler's kind of set that out in Ohio, and Bear with the OCKS has followed that. And I mean, I think that's a, a big reason why they're so successful is because they have a great class structure. So I think if that could, if that could take on a little bit and everybody, everybody's just got to be on the same page. I mean, when I started racing in the mid two thousands, Pennsylvania racing was huge, Eastern Pennsylvania, especially. And like when I was a little kid, I mean, like you would kind of like be like, man, I I can't wait. I want to get out there and just be good. And then it seems like Pennsylvania over, you know, with the clone coming in and the flathead never really ever phasing out. And the animal was just there, which, I mean, I don't want, in my opinion, the animal is the best motor, but I don't want to go there. I agree. Uh, 100%. <laughs> you know, I, I think that that they've never picked a motor or never picked a class structure. And years down the road, that's hurt them. And in the meantime, probably 2012, 13, Ohio gets on the bandwagon and says, we're picking a clone and we're going to ride with it. So, you know, that's where you know, that one class, this is the class, this is the rules that's across the board that, that we need to stick with. And the one thing I'm really, really afraid of is that the predator is going to come and turn into the next clone. And I think that's going to hurt us way more than it could ever help us. So, 
in our area, we got some, we got a decent amount of predator racing, but I mean, we have to keep that as an entry level form of racing to feed the bigger classes. You know, I understand that guys race every weekend on predator or whatever, but they don't need to be racing for 500 and a thousand dollars or have huge events. They could be a support class that runs for a set of tires. That's more than enough. When those guys are spending, you know, a hundred dollars for to go to Harbor Freight and get a motor, and I'm spending fourteen hundred for a clone or whatever, you know, I think the biggest thing is just there needs to be there needs to be unity in the class structure, and then there also racers need consistency. And I made a I'm not sure if you saw it on Facebook a while back, but I had a big long rant that took off a lot more than what I thought it was going to. I mean, I got shares from people that I didn't even think read my stuff. And I said, my other biggest point was we need to have consistency. So, you know, if somebody dumps somebody, make the same call every time. You know, we, we can't have, we can't have something where you go to the racetrack and you're not sure what's going to happen on the other end of it because the, the race director doesn't, they don't know, you know, they, they literally have to think out what they're going to do instead of just saying spinner, spinny, or just being black and white. You know, if we could be black and white and upfront about every rule and every call that we can make, then you know what you're expect. Then you know what you're going to get going into anything. You know, like if you, I mean, if you wreck somebody, you know you're going to the back. If you, you know, or whatever, you know, your glove comes off when you're racing, you know you're going to get black flag. You know, if there's a if there's a constant rule set and if they just stick to it, you know, the, the biggest thing is, and it, it comes back to the black lag not being used and other things like that is that there's almost a point where sometimes the, the race directors are, are a little bit, they're a little bit weak in putting their foot down on what, what's actually going on. And if, if they could just stand up, be consistent, everybody's going to get in line or get out. And I'm not saying that to, to be mean, but there's people that, you know, if, if everybody knows what they're getting when they pull into the gate on the racetrack, you know, that you can't you can't be upset of it when you leave. You know, it's a, it, the thing that gets a lot a lot of people frustrated is when you pull in expecting one thing, you get there and a completely different thing happens. I agree. I agree, man. <clears throat> and I think in some ways and, um, you know, for everything that WK was not, I feel like having kind of like that central central body so to speak for rules and classes and stuff was good um like you know like you said i just wish we had something something similar maybe a little bit better or whatever but um yeah that that whole the whole wka thing is just it's slightly before my time so i really can't speak on that but i mean we do need some type of organization that i mean because it's almost in some cases it's like as bad as like the blind leading the blind I mean, nobody, nobody knows. And I mean, racers are our own worst enemy. I mean, there's no, there's no thing about, there's no, there's no hiding from that because you give us one thing and then we're going to want a different thing. And then it turns into four or five things later and then everybody's broke because of it or something, you know? So if we just get some unification and some kind of actual guidance, that'd be great. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree, man. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of people that I've talked to both on here, off the, you know, off the record, on the record, but even like behind the scenes, when you were talking about motors, it uh, it seems like animal motors definitely were, if you ask everyone, I mean, it seems like that was the class and almost like the power for the go-kart was a little bit more where it kind of was a little more driver as opposed to momentum. And, uh, And I think a lot of people also kind of mimic what you said about 
you know, I think everyone's worried that the Predator is going to turn into the clone and we're just going to keep on yeah. doing this cycle of turning a $150 motor into a $1,500 motor. And I, you know what I mean? I'm just not sure that's what's best for karting in general. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And I mean, you gotta, we need a entry level form and Predator is great for entry level racing. But if we start, if, you know, I'm, I say we as karting, you know, karting folks in general, is if we start getting soup and putting crazy money in there, then the pro racers are going to run that class. And it's just going to be, it's just going to be. And then, so you have a pro guy running the predator class and then, you know, then the regular guy that runs predator every week gets beat. He's like, well, I'm not even going to run this because I got no chance. Right. And I, I saw somewhere and it, it may have been bear series, but he had a rule where if you ran predator, you couldn't run, you couldn't run clone or couldn't run something like that. And I thought that was a really good rule. To, mm-hmm. you know we need to purify that class and make it an entry level class and leave it at that you know no no getting crazy <laughs> yeah no i i agree man i i preach generally about you know we need to eliminate the barriers of entry and i think that um the biggest classes around here on the local level in delaware and i live right near the line so maryland and delaware but people had go-karts laying around you know they just went and bought a i actually bought a predator i brought a predator motor yesterday for my son you know i'm putting together a go-kart for him to just he's nine so i'm just gonna practice and see how it goes but um guys had motors they have old tires and takeoffs they can buy pretty cheap you go buy a hundred dollar motor it's like they're racing for like 800 bucks you know what i mean that's reasonable for people that aren't trying to do it full time and um like you said i just hope it kind of stays to that and um, And the other thing with, with that class is you know once you start getting you know if you start putting more than just a trophy and stuff like that in it you get got then you have to try to keep everybody honest and when you make a rule set which is other than stock, if you start getting specs, then people are going to build them the specs. <laughs> I mean, it's yes. going to be the clone all over again. And there's there's some some of a, some younger promoters that are doing a good job building that as an entry level class, but they weren't around the whole time the clone was going through that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't think that you know it's it's you know if you don't know your history, it's bound to repeat it, and that's carding or anything. So, you know, we just got to be, we got to be very careful this time with the Predator. Yeah. And I, you know, look, man, and honestly, I think that, um, just having people on like yourself and us just talking about it and more and more people hearing about it. I mean, there's a lot of people that are new to racing that they have no idea, you know what I mean? And I think just having the conversation and not, not that we need to convince anyone of anything, but at least having information to make your judgments on. And I think it's just going to make the sport better in general. Um, so yeah. I guess, sorry, yeah. So so to finish up here, I just wanna I wanna give you an opportunity to to one um, let people know where they can contact you at, and I'll definitely tag you on Facebook when we put this out. Um, and the other thing is, you know, if if you wanted to give a shout out to anybody or thank anyone that's helped you in the past or, or really anything you want to say, um, I guess like now would be the opportunity yeah. to do that. Well, I do have a Facebook page. It's Diamond Cuts on Facebook. You can add me on Facebook which is cool. I'm on Instagram too. I mean, that's not, not a big deal, but I'm on there. Um, so I mean, business wise, you can always message my page and my phone number is on my Facebook page as well. So call me or text me. The only thing is if you call, please leave a message because with the scam calls and stuff like that, there's no guarantee that <laughs> I will answer, but I'm usually really responsive, you know, on Facebook and whatnot. Um, and then for thanking people, there's a ton you know, there's a ton of people I have to thank. I mean, first, it's it's my family, my dad, my mom, my uncle, 
and my grandparents and stuff like that. I mean, they were they were with me day one when it started. So you you can't forget where you came from. So I need to really thank them for everything that you know they've given me to be good. And then you know on the carding and success side, I mean, I have to thank everybody that's you know supported me as a customer, just supported me in general. I mean, Court Turner. If it wasn't for him and his work, I mean, you know, as kind of being his almost like a house engine guy almost for him, you know, if it wasn't for hit, you know, if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't be where I'm at now. And he's since, he's since moved on from engine building. But I mean, if I get in the, you know, if I need him, he, he's still there. Um, the Stevenson family, John and his brother, Scott, I mean, for everything they've done for me has been great. Um, you know, my sponsors that helped me out, uh, like Lucas Oil, Pro-X, Pressure Washing, Dawes, Dawes Welding, um, you know, they helped me, you know, just, just with the little things that helped get into the racetrack. Um, Stealth Clutches, Ron Rollins, has helped me out this year. I mean, it's almost become one of those things where it's a friendship deal and, uh, you know, just as much as it's a business thing. Um, and then lastly, uh, Slack Carts, I mean, I cannot thank, you know, Slack and Performance Manufacturing enough for just this this opportunity that's kind of like lifted me up to propel me to really take it to the next level. And, I mean, Josh and his girlfriend Mandy, Nick and Jody Harriman, they're, I mean, they're just, like I said earlier, they're, they're not just a partner that I sell their go-karts and sell their parts. I mean, they, they are like friends and family to me. And, I mean, that, that's something that I don't, like even the other slag dealers, I mean, it's like we've become some kind of like group that, you know, it's, I don't think that's, that's very common, at least anymore. And it's nice to just have like a, like the family aspect of people around. So that's a, I, I'd probably say for, I might forget somebody, but I mean, those are the main people that I need, need to really thank. Well, man, I do appreciate you taking time to come on here and talk. For everybody to listen to, I'm sure that people will be reaching out to you once they hear this. And um, I really enjoyed the conversation, man. I thought it was good. I thought you did good. Um, for someone that's 22 or 23, um, 22, 22, right? yeah. 22, man, you um, <laughs> you're still very early in your in your little racing career, man. And I think with um, what you're going to school for and and what you're doing, man, I'm kind of interested to follow you and see how everything goes um, in the next five to ten years. So. Um, yeah, as always, sure. man, if, if there's anything that I, you know, I can do personally, or you come out with something new, man, just let me know, I'll try to promote it as much as I can on the page. Like, like I would with anyone that comes on here. And, um, again, yeah, man, I mean, I, the I, best thing I think you could do is just keep this up because I mean, this, I mean, I really started, I just discovered this as like a fan and like, this is, you know, it's a, it's a cool deal what you got going on and it's nice to have this listen to while you're going to the racetrack or something like that it kind of gets some people's wheels turning so you got to keep doing what you're doing too i appreciate that yeah man well hey dude i'm a i'm a fan of it too and i know people thank me and i've said it before it's i just wanted to create the platform for people to come on here and talk man i i enjoy it just as much as um as anyone and i've been around racing forever man and um uh, you know, I've gained a lot, even just some of the little things I ask about, you know, finishing tires and tire programs and things like that. Like, they're self-serving for me because, um, you know, I'm going to get my kid into it and kind of see how that goes. But I'm hoping that I'm asking questions that um, people, you know, people that are new are going to kind of be interested in. And then people like yourself, man, that can hear other high-level guys and realize that the struggles we all go <laughs> through on the ups and downs. And uh, it's 
it's about um, you know something that was kind of reoccurring in a lot of the stories that you told that that I kind of like and I can relate to is sometimes you get you get to these races and it's not going to start off the way you want to and it's easy to give up it's easy to throw your hands up it's easy to pout and go get a cheeseburger but the people that are going to succeed rather be on the on the track off the track um, in life are going to be the people that keep on persevering and um i think that yeah. that's a common common thread that you've shown and a lot of people that have been on here it's, it's not all sunshine yeah. and roses you know so yeah i mean my my biggest thing is you know it's contrary to a popular belief that this isn't rocket science it's just it is going around riding in a circle when you break it all down to nothing so you have to just keep it as simple. And if you sometimes your biggest enemy is going to be yourself. And something sometimes it's a deterrent to people thinking that it's you know a, a lot harder than what it is. And if you just keep things simple, you know you're going to find your success that way a lot more than you could do by you know getting crazy. That's a good way to end it, man. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you. All right, boys and girls. I hope everyone enjoyed the podcast as much as I did. Um, just remember, as always, anyone that you hear on the podcast, I reach out to them either at the track or even on social media. You can find Jared at Jared John. Um, if you go to my Facebook page for Zero Analytics, I will also tag him uh, in a couple things. He also has diamond cuts, a couple things that we talked about throughout the podcast. So again, uh, reach out to anyone that's been on the show. It's kind of weird coming on here. And, you know, having hundreds of people listen to you and you think you messed up. And I get tired of hearing my voice at the time, to be honest with you. Probably so do you. But uh, anyway, it takes a lot. Everyone's kind of contributing to it. I'm a fan of the show. Uh, I told people before, like I mentioned in the podcast, like it's just something that for me, I'm just kind of start the conversation, let people talk. I learn stuff. I learn just as much as anybody else. Uh, I know some of us listen for stories. Some of us listen to things like that we can actually go out and do in the go-kart shop to help us make faster. And I feel like probably in most of the podcasts, there's a little bit of all of that. Um, also, just being a dad, like I generally ask questions regarding kids and things like that. More so like a little bit for my own self, but I grew up working with the kids kind of like in the purple plate and blue plate and gold plate. That's kind of how I got my start. And I think sometimes even as a dad that's trying to do it himself, just hearing um, some of the conversations and how they even approach talking to their kid and uh, even just the tire work and things like that. I think it's helpful. So that's why I try to add a little bit into that. I know some of you guys are, are younger, not quite to that phase and probably sometimes like wondering like what the hell is he talking about? But uh, just so you know, I'm really just trying to add value to anybody listening. So again, thank you. If I don't get another one out before Christmas, then uh, I hope everyone enjoys their holiday season and uh, be safe traveling to the track and at the track. Peace out.